welcome back to the Holistic Nutritionist Podcast. I am Natalie K. Douglas, your host and your solo host today, because um, I'm just recording an episode by myself, because why the heck not? So the goal of these little solo episodes is to give you relatively bite-sized pieces of information and education on all different topics that you guys ask me about all the time. So today we are chatting all things thyroid and for those of you who don't know this is one of my um, special areas of interest and I run um, an online thyroid rescue program that we are actually coming up um, for another round in September. So keep your eyes out for that. There will be some more announcements around that soon but there are limited spots available and um, yeah I'll share more when that's when that's necessary. So today what I wanted to share with you is actually about the three most common forms of an underactive thyroid that I see. I think that there's a bit of a misconception out there that unless you have Hashimoto's which is the autoimmune version of an underactive thyroid that there is no problem. I think that's one side of the spectrum. And then I think the other side is almost like this perpetual feeling of, oh my gosh, everyone thinking they have a thyroid issue, which I can totally understand because when you Google underactive thyroid, the list of symptoms that come up could be you know, attributed to so many different things and could actually resonate with a lot of different people. And we're more looking for a collection of those going on as opposed to being like, oh my gosh, yeah, I feel tired. And I also have not been able to lose weight recently. Um, Having just those two in the absence of, you know, a good collection of others, probably not looking at a thyroid issue, or you may be, but it's more it, it's less likely than if we're looking at a whole collection of symptoms that may indicate an underactive thyroid. Now, if you would like to have your thyroid screened, you can go to my website and there is a free thyroid symptom checker quiz which I put together for that exact purpose of looking at and grading how likely it is that you have a thyroid issue or an underactive thyroid issue. So today what I, what I wanted to share with you is the three most common forms of that, that kind of create an underactive thyroid. So let's actually start with Hashis or Hashi, Hashimoto's and I'm going to call it Hashis because that it just sounds so much cooler, you know. Um, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition and it is where it's kind of like a case of mistaken identity and it's when the body actually develops antibodies or it starts to attack the thyroid gland itself and there's often um, inflammation involved in that process too. So really at the heart of it, it is caused by immune dysregulation as opposed to it, it, it coming solely from the thyroid, if that makes sense. So the thyroid is the target, but the immune system is the driver. So hopefully that makes sense. So when we're looking at, well, what actually causes that? What causes Hashimoto's or what could rather be a trigger for Hashimoto's? So in my experience, there are a few really common things that I see be a trigger for my Hashimoto's patients to actually be triggered with Hashimoto's. Now, these can can actually occur together. It's not that there needs to be just one in isolation. And I would actually say that usually there is more than one trigger going on. 
The other part to it is that you do need a genetic predisposition to Hashimoto's. So it's kind of like that genetics load the gun, environment pulls the trigger, if you've ever heard that at all before. This is a pretty good example of that situation. So some triggers or examples of triggers for Hashimoto's are infections. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a super obvious infection in terms of I've cut my finger and there is pus coming out everywhere and I'm clearly infected or um, something like that as it doesn't have to be that confronting. It could be a parasite. It could be an overgrowth of bacteria. So SIBO for anyone who's heard us talk about SIBO on the podcast before. It could be that you have an infection in your gums or you've got inflammation there and there are bacteria there that shouldn't be. It could be that you've got a chronic viral infection. It could be that you have chronic um, urinary tract infection. So anything where there's a significant viral or bacterial load in the body is going to be a source of irritating the immune system, which can be in a way how Hashimoto's can be triggered. The next one is mold. So exposure to mold can definitely be a trigger for Hashis. And I've seen this several times. And actually, there are currently a few women in my thyroid program where that is definitely playing out for them. And it's not the first time that this has happened. So just being super aware of mold in your environment and not waiting to act whenever that pops up on your on your radar making sure you do something about it asap so for anyone who wants more information on mold um i did a wonderful interview with amy skilton on this exact thing it's called is your environment making you sick i can't remember what podcast episode it was but scroll back it wasn't too long ago so you'll be able to to find it Next one is stress and i know that it might feel like well you know, stress is everywhere, it's inevitable, and people I feel aren't taking it as seriously now that it's more common and assumed. So, when I say stress, I mean emotional stress, I mean physical stress, chemical or environmental stress. So, that comes back to yes, mold, but then also other things like what are you putting on your body? What are you drinking? How many pesticides and herbicides are you consuming? Are you surrounded like quite closely by lots of EMF? It's considering all of your stress load. Stress also comes in the form of infection load. And that's where it kind of circles back into anything that is putting pressure on the body in that kind of chronic way is going to become a stressor. So they're a couple. I definitely see stress be when I go back through what I often do with clients is get them to do a little bit of a health timeline or I will just go through that with them when I'm having their first consultation with them and asking questions around you know when did you last feel well what happened um, in this process did you go through a particularly emotional period Um, were you under a lot of stress at some point in time when did things start to change and starting to connect some of those dots And you'll often find or I often find that there is a period of stress that precedes the onset of Hashimoto's or more overt or obvious underactive thyroid symptoms. So stress should not be underplayed there. Um, Breast implants is another one, albeit a bit uh, controversial. I definitely see this be an issue and it's 
something that you can't necessarily prove that the breast implants caused the issue um, before removing them. You kind of have to get them removed and correct things or see how far you can correct things before being like, well, obviously that was contributing. We can talk about breast implants in another episode because it is definitely a topic in and of itself, but I just wanted to flag that one there. And then the other one would be going through any significant hormonal changes. So that can be most commonly um, it being an onset at puberty, um, pregnancy is another one, and also menopause. And it's not to say any of these things are bad and by all means, most of those you can't avoid. There are They are going to happen. Obviously, pregnancy is a, a choice in most situations, but it brings lots of joys with it as well. But it can be a time where Hashimoto's can be triggered. Um, and there are things we can do to prevent that, which again, we'll discuss in another episode. So that is kind of where I see the triggers for Hashimoto's. And Hashimoto's definitely presents itself with the presence of antibodies, so thyroid antibodies which you can absolutely run tests for and you can ask that from your uh, doctor or your general practitioner and you can also order them privately in most places like I know Australia and New Zealand you can using eye screen or eye medical are some options Um, and I know that there are options overseas as well I just don't know the names of the labs off the top of my head but there are plenty of you know, patient ordering systems. Now I say that because I'm pro access and pro you getting what you deserve to get, which I think is information. I think thyroid antibodies are something that you should be able to order. um, Especially if you're feeling symptoms of an underactive thyroid that aren't always ordered when you're just asking for your thyroid to be tested. However, I do think that whenever you're ordering testing, if you don't know how to interpret it, you need someone on your team that is actually going to be able to support you because testing is one thing, but it means nothing if you're not matching it up with how you're feeling and a bit of extra knowledge in that way. So just wanted to add that little little bit of information in there as well. So the next most common form of an underactive thyroid that I see is hypothyroidism, without Hashimoto's being present. So what that means is hypothyroidism just means an underactive thyroid. So hypo being low and then thyroidism self-explanatory. And without Hashimoto's, all I mean by that is that there aren't any thyroid antibodies present indicating that it's not likely, it's not impossible, but it's not likely that your immune system is what is driving the thyroid issue. So in this instance, what is likely driving the thyroid issue or the underactive thyroid issue? Um, In my experience, the most common things are nutrient deficiencies. So those being usually iodine, selenium, iron, um, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin A, and protein generally, which brings me to my next point. Sometimes a lack of protein intake can drive it. And um, that's really important because, well, A, it contains a lot of those nutrients I've just rattled off there, particularly iron and zinc in their really bioavailable and easily accessible forms. And it also contains, it also is protein. And one of the amino acids, tyrosine, um, is actually really important. It's a building block of your thyroid hormones. So the way it works is that amino acids are 
they basically make up proteins. That's the easiest way of putting it. So that is why actually having adequate protein intake is super important. And look, to get that in terms of really practical sense, I usually say between two to three palm sizes of preferably animal protein a day because it is easier to access those nutrients. If you are having more of a plant-based diet, then that's when I really recommend working with someone who can smartly construct that for you to help you make sure you're getting the right breakdown of amino acids because most plant proteins aren't complete proteins, which means they don't contain the whole spectrum of amino acids that you perhaps need. Um, And also if you have existing digestive issues, which I find is really common in people with thyroid issues, sometimes there can be that added barrier. So just make sure you're making sure, making sure you are working with someone. The other thing that I see drive hypothyroidism in some instances uh, is definitely stress. So we often hear about adrenal fatigue, and I'm air quoting for anyone who is wondering why I'm saying it so weirdly. And the reason that is, is because there's such a close relationship between your brain and your adrenals and your thyroid and really it's a whole system that gets affected. It's it's rarely do I see one thing being imp- impacted without there being residual um, consequences onto the other one. So just being really aware of stress and the amount of stress you are under and circling back to what I said before around stress not just being, holy shit, I need to make sure that I get this thing submitted on time or I'm stressed about a conversation I'm about to have. It really is stress on all fronts. The other thing I see quite commonly is blood sugar issues. So blood sugar dysregulation. So if you're that person who gets hangry between meals or you get a bit shaky or brain foggy or lightheaded between meals, that can often be an indication that your blood sugar balance is off. And the reason why this has an impact on the thyroid is because it is a form of stress in the body. So having imbalanced blood sugar is a stressor on the body and does create inflammation. The way that hypothyroidism minus Hashimoto's presents in blood tests is, well, two ways. If it's If it's obvious, then it will present as usually an elevated TSH and either a low T4 or low T3 or both. And there are certain, you know, definitions and criteria that you have to meet, but I'm just talking clinically what that would look like and what I'd be looking like, looking like what I'd be looking for on your blood tests. However, not always do you have thyroid levels or thyroid results that are out of range um, when you have an underactive thyroid, which kind of leads me more into number three, which is the third most common form of an underactive thyroid I see and probably the least conventionally medically accepted, but absolutely it is a thing in my experience, which is cellular hypothyroidism. So a complete mouthful, but all that means is that you might be pro- like producing enough thyroid hormones and they may very well be in range in terms of when we're looking at your blood test results and your thyroid hormone levels might be normal at a 
um, at a brain level where a lot of that regulation or negative feedback happens. So it kind of works like a thermostat. If something's low, then something else kicks in to be like, hey, increase. Um, So that's how thyroid hormones work in a very overly simplistic way. And what happens with cellular hypothyroidism is that all well and good up top. However, when we get to the actual tissues and the cells, the thyroid hormones are not getting in. Now, unfortunately, at this point in time, there is no clear cut way to measure that, um, at least not available in clinical practice at this point in time. However, the way that I decipher that is that if you're meeting a lot of the criteria of what an, having an underactive thyroid looks like and I can't find any other likely explanation for it. And the main drivers of cellular hypothyroidism is inflammation. And inflammation can be coming from having an inflammatory diet. It can come from having a high infection load. It can come from stress, from mold exposure. It can come from nutrient deficiency. So you can kind of see how this is all getting very related to each other. The other reason why cellular hypothyroidism often occurs is having really dysregulated cortisol. So cortisol being your stress hormone that we do need some of, but we don't need too much of. And so having chronically elevated cortisol or chronically dysregulated cortisol can also be um, a bit of a stress and, and stop the thyroid hormones actually getting into the cells. And then the third most common one I would say is definitely um, blood sugar swings, as I was mentioning just before. And actually something else that just came to mind that I should mention is also, and I guess this comes with uh, stress and environmental toxicity, uh, heavy metals and heavy metal exposure. So just being aware of that one too. So I guess the reason why I wanted to share this information with you is to reiterate again as Kate and I always have on this podcast that following your gut instincts and listening to your body and matching up your symptoms as number one with tests and investigations is super important. If you go and you have your thyroid tested and the reason you go is because you tick all of these boxes of having an underactive thyroid yet your blood test results say something else, don't just dismiss that if your body and your gut is telling you something different. And I guess the really comforting thing around treating thyroid issues is that a lot of the treatments are really just amazing ways to optimize your health generally. And there's going to be, in most situations, little or no harm, I should say, done to working on optimizing your thyroid health. Often when we're working at optimizing your thyroid health, we're also looking at optimizing your general hormonal health, your adrenals, um, your, um, you know, your detox pathways, your gut. So just a reminder there that if you aren't Luck, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but I guess in a sense, lucky enough to get a clear cut validating diagnosis. 
If you feel all the same symptoms, then it's time to do something about it and see how things go. So work with a practitioner that knows what they're doing um, or join Thyroid Rescue. The next round is in September, as I mentioned at the beginning, because it's so important that you feel well and that your symptoms come as number one as opposed to hanging everything on test results alone they are absolutely so important and they can give us so much information and i use them every single day in my clinical practice and in the fire and rescue program but they are by no means the only thing to consider so i hope that gives you a little insight into underactive thyroids and hypothyroidism and what some of the main types are Um, And if any of this has brought up any questions, then please just drop us a line at podcast at nataliekdouglas.com and I will organize a follow-up episode to answer some of those questions for you. Otherwise, have a beautiful day and I will speak to you all very soon.